Hello, friends, and welcome back to the PrepWell podcast. In today's episode, I want to propose some ideas on how to deal with your child's grades. Should you monitor their grades? If so, how often? How do you talk to your kids about their grades? At what point do you get involved, if ever? And what are some common pitfalls to avoid? And for one, keep in mind that my comments will necessarily be pretty broad because I don't know the specifics about your child's ambitions, their engagement with school, their interest in grades, their relationship with you as their parent, their intellectual curiosity and horsepower, their home life, and many other factors. Every child is unique. So please use these ideas as a jumping off point and make the necessary adjustments with your particular child. As parents, most of us will have a pretty good sense about how academically oriented our children are by the middle of elementary school. Even if they aren't getting grades per se, we usually have a gut feel about how strong a performer our child is, or will be, in the classroom. I would start paying a little bit more attention to the details when they get into sixth grade. Middle school is not the be-all and end-all, of course, but it's the first time they typically get graded with letters, letters that mean something, even if just directionally. Most middle schoolers know that an A is better than a C, for example. So in my opinion, it does make sense to confirm your suspicions about their academic potential by keeping an eye on their grades in 6th grade, 7th grade, 8th grade. Now, does this mean that you must study their report card and call them out on any little slippage? No, not necessarily. Does it mean that you now have license to demand that they get all A's? I wouldn't say so. It's certainly your parental prerogative to motivate your children as you see fit, but personally, I wouldn't hit the panic button too early. But by middle school, children should know that their performance is now being assessed and they're getting grades that reflect their performance and that they should presumably be striving to do their best. Now, how we define, quote unquote, their best is a topic for a different day. I would say that by seventh grade, you should have a good idea of where they fall in the spectrum. If they are motivated, engaged, getting straight A's, great. So far, so good. If they're getting a mix of A's and B's, then maybe it's worth a discussion about how to flip some of those B's to A's. Hopefully during that discussion, you'll uncover whether the slippage is due to forgetting to turn in homework, a lack of understanding, maybe it's laziness, problems with a teacher. You don't know until you start asking questions. Now, if they're getting B's and C's or worse, then it's time to really figure out what's going on. Because middle school is the time when students start to self-identify as a smart student or an average student or a below-average student. And these self-imposed labels can be tough to shake. And middle school is the time when they get locked in. Don't ignore middle school, assuming that things will magically turn around in high school. That's probably not going to happen. If anything, the identity that they enter high school with will be reinforced more so than it would be turned around. 
You want your child to hit the ground running when they enter high school with confidence and a strong self-identity and a head of steam. And if there is slippage in middle school and you as a parent expect them to get mostly A's or all A's or at least live up to their potential, seventh and eighth grade is the best time to address that slippage. The other reason paying attention to 7th and 8th grade is a good idea is because as they transition to high school, their middle school grades and performance and attitude will typically determine whether they're invited to enroll in the more advanced classes in high school, honors classes, AP classes. So if your child has sloughed off and you haven't been paying attention, it's very easy for your high potential child to be pipelined into mainstream classes, which may not challenge them. And depending on the school, this may not be that easy to undo. If your child all of a sudden matures in eighth or ninth grade, and all of a sudden shows a lot of academic promise, hopefully it's not too late by then. And sometimes the fact that they weren't invited to these advanced classes going into high school, like some of their friends will, will cause them to second-guess their abilities and lose their motivation to claw their way back. Okay, now, when your child gets into high school, you really want to start paying attention to grades, especially if you think your child might eventually want to apply to some of the more competitive colleges and programs. These grades matter. The classes that they're taking matter. Yes, there are some colleges that don't rely on ninth grade grades, but they're the exception to the rule. Ninth grade grades matter. As I would guess you know by now, many schools have sophisticated online portals that allow parents to see how their child is progressing in terms of their grades and citizenship marks and absences and tardies and more. Teachers will log each student's grades, whether it's a homework or a quiz or a test or a paper or a group project, whatever it might be, and it will be reflected in their online academic profile. So here are five rules for checking in on these grades. Rule number one, be casual in the beginning. If you go into the grade portal and you see an F on a test or a quiz, you know, it says, 0 out of 10 F, 0 out of 5 F. Please do not immediately rip your child a new one and lecture them on how important grades are. Because I'm pretty sure after you're done ranting, your child will say something along the lines of, hey mom, that's actually not an F. Our teacher hasn't uploaded the scores yet. I think I actually did pretty well on that quiz. Oops. That's when you have egg on your face and you feel embarrassed, and you sound like a psycho parent, and you've lost some street cred. So please don't do that. Now you can note the grade, and then casually, in passing, say something like, hey Caleb, I saw in power schools, it looked like you got an F on some math quiz last week. Is that a real grade, or you know what's going on there? And then wait for Caleb to respond. Now by taking this what I call casual approach, Caleb understands that, number one, you're paying attention to how he's doing in school, presumably because you care. Two, 
you're not immediately accusing him of failing a quiz because that wouldn't say much about your confidence in him. Number three, you're giving him the benefit of the doubt that this was an anomaly, which builds further trust. Four, you're not making it seem like the entire world is coming to an end if he did indeed fail some math quiz. And lastly, number five, if he did happen to slip up and fail that quiz, you're in a much better position to talk about it than you would be if you started out with a very accusatory tone. Chances are, if you sound like a reasonable person, he may actually respond to you and explain that he is indeed having trouble in that class and he would like some help. This is what you want. You want to build trust. You want to establish open lines of communication. You don't want to freak out. And you want to be early enough to make a difference. Rule number two, review monthly. I typically log into PowerSchool once a month or so to review my own kids' grades. PowerSchool is a platform that our high school happens to use to enter grades and such. You may have a different one. By waiting at least a month, it allows my kids to build up some momentum. I'm not going to check the first week of school where expectations are being set, and sometimes teachers are particularly rigid in order to set the tone for the year. You know, waiting a little while allows for a diversity of grades to show up. Some homework assignments, maybe some quizzes, some group projects, some unit tests. It also gives them a bit of time to recover from a bad test or a bad quiz that they may have a chance to take a retest on. And finally, it shows that you're not a lunatic parent who's checking up on them hourly. That's no fun. By giving them some breathing room, again, in my case, it's about a month, you're building trust with them. If the expectation, either implicit or explicit, is that they get good grades, then by not checking every day or even every week, you're communicating to your child that you believe that they're meeting or exceeding expectations. Again, you don't want to roll the dice for too long, but you do want to give them some time to operate. Rule number three, nip it in the bud. Let's say you wait a month or two check your child's grades, and you see a few hiccups. In math, for example, a cursory review shows that they're getting mostly A's, but you notice that the A's are for things like homework checks, which means that they did their homework. and That's a good sign, but all of those A's might not amount to much in the final grade when it comes to waiting. It could just be a lot of window dressing. In other words, if you see on the online portal in the math class grades like A, 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 C, A, 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 D, A, 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 B, the optics are pretty good because you get caught up in seeing all the A's. But what if all the A's are five out of five for homework checks and the C is on the unit one test and the D is on the unit two pretest? And the tests and the pretests account for 70% of the final grade. That's not so good. You're going to want to dig into that. In other words, if your child is racking up a lot of A's on all the easy assignments, what I like to call the low-hanging fruit, but they're struggling on the tests and the quizzes, 
which are usually much more representative of how much they're learning and understanding, then it's time to open up a dialogue. You don't want to let this go. Now, there may be a legitimate reason for these grades. Maybe the teacher hasn't curved the test yet. Maybe that 75% was the highest grade in the class. Maybe there are opportunities for retakes. I don't know. But I do know that I will get to the bottom of it. And if I don't get a satisfactory answer from my child, I might shoot an email to the math teacher to get the real scoop. Because if this issue isn't addressed pretty quickly, assuming that it is an actual issue, things go south real fast. If this is ignored, and it turns out at the end of the semester that your child gets a C in math because they never really got quadratic equations, this will be a big hole to dig out of. In fact, there are many doors that may close if your child gets a C in math. For example, service academies like West Point and Air Force Academy and the Naval Academy, they may not accept your child with a C in a core STEM class like math. Stanford University has denied admissions to highly recruited athletes because of a C in a core academic class. So this is not inconsequential stuff. And of course, your average student who wants to go to a highly competitive academic college may have problems with admissions with even just a few Bs on their transcript. So again, I'm not advocating that every parent demand that their child get straight A's every semester in middle school and high school. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But I am suggesting that we do our best as parents to head off any potential issues before they become big issues. Most of us as parents want to leave as many options as possible open because we just never know what our child might aspire to. We don't want to foreclose any options because we weren't paying attention to what was going on. Rule number four, don't shy away from help. Your child doesn't have to go this alone. If it turns out that early in the semester, they're struggling with AP calculus, don't wait until the end of the semester or the end of the year to see what you can do to help. If you're not up to helping them out, seek out other resources. Does your child have a friend in the class that could help? Does the school offer after-school tutoring? Does the teacher offer extra help before school, during lunch, after school? Have they checked out Khan Academy? Have they reviewed the teacher notes? Have they rewatched the lecture videos that are available online? If you have the money, have they tried a few private tutoring sessions? There are many avenues to pursue these days. Some are free, some might be at a cost. My point is that I don't want you as a parent to get stuck. I don't want you to blow this off. With all of the learning loss that happened thanks to the school closures for two years, you should almost expect and anticipate gaps in learning, sometimes big gaps. And it's up to you to help your child get up to speed. My sons have used almost all of these resources. They've sought out help from particularly smart classmates. They've attended teachers' office hours, before school, after school, at lunch. They've watched online videos of particular topics over and over. They've practiced with Khan Academy. They've worked with private tutors for especially tough topics. This is the type of work that needs to be put in to get to the next level. And it's up to us as parents to show our kids the way and encourage them to take advantage of what's available out there. This is especially important 
given what the COVID lockdowns have done to the education of our kids. Rule number five, you're not alone. Don't feel like you're an outlier if your child is struggling with a particular subject or subjects. Many students are, especially if you're from a state that was particularly motivated to keep kids out of school for as long as humanly possible. And certainly don't feel like you're doing anything wrong by looking for a tutor or other resources to help out. You're not. You're being a parent. In fact, these days, you might be the outlier if you're not looking for outside help. Don't be a hero and have your son or daughter gut it out with whatever instruction they get in school. If your son or daughter sat on their bed for two years and, quote-unquote, learned through Zoom calls, they are likely significantly behind the eight ball. Ninth, tenth, eleventh grade, these are foundational years for learning. Not only content but also study skills, interpersonal skills, executive function, planning, thinking ahead. They need to catch up. They need someone to bring them back to the baseline. This is another reason why Preppel Academy has come in so handy for the last few years. Because in the weekly videos, students learn about creating a good study environment, how to use a calendar, how to plan ahead, how to make test-taking timelines, how to eliminate distractions, how to supplement their learning with online resources. And the list goes on and on. So if you haven't enrolled your child yet, please consider doing so. And by the way, before I forget, if you're in the market for a tutor, for any subject or any test, please reach out to me, as I have had incredible success with tutors, with my own sons, and many private prep wellers. It can make a huge difference. My son once told me that he learned more from a one-hour session with his math tutor than from six months of math class. So let me summarize the order of operations here. Step number one, play it cool in the beginning. Don't let your kids think that you're micromanaging their lives or that you don't trust them. Step number two, have a look at their grades at least monthly. Step number three, nip any potential problems in the bud. Step number four, don't shy away from seeking help. Chances are help is needed. And step number five, don't think your child is the only one struggling or that you're the only one looking for supplemental help. If either of these things are happening, welcome to the club. That's all I've got for you today, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for the continued support. If you know a parent with an 8th grader, ninth grader, 10th grader, or 11th grader, senior in high school that might find this helpful, please share the episode with them. You can do that by finding that small box with a tiny arrow pointing up. That's the share button. Click that button. Text your friends a link to this episode with a little personal note from you recommending that they give it a listen. Give us a rating, too, if you like what you hear. Apparently, that helps the podcast reach a wider audience. If you have questions, comments, or an idea for an upcoming episode, please reach out to me by email. DM me on Instagram, check out our blog, Facebook page, or connect with me on LinkedIn. I would love to hear from you. Until next week, goodbye, good luck, and never stop preparing. This podcast is brought to you by PrepWell Academy. PrepWell Academy is my one-of-a-kind online mentoring program that delivers to your ninth or 10th grader a short, highly relevant video from me every week, every Sunday, in fact, where I give them a heads up about what they should be thinking about 
to stay ahead of the game. To get these valuable lessons into your child's hands, please head over to prepwellacademy.com and enroll your child today.